All right, would you stand as we sing Hark the Herald? Amen. You may be seated, and nursery may be dismissed to head on back. <laughs> All right, how many of you have gone out and uh, driven around to see lights around town yet? All right, now I know there are a couple popular spots, but uh, I don't know what one of your favorites may be or the things that you may enjoy going to see. Uh, we've got a few more we want to check out, but uh, we did go right up North Carefree here, and uh, you take a right onto Inspiration Drive. Has anybody been to that one? Eight houses all coordinated together. And uh, yeah, and so we went, and we love that one. Uh, you kind of. My neck gets sore because you're like, over here, over there, trying to, trying to follow it all. And if you get there right at sundown, you don't have to wait in the lines, you know, of the streets. But they have it, all these homes coordinated together with the music working together. And then uh, we've been going for several years, and it's neat to see each year they kind of are adding one piece. And uh, last year, it seems one house invested a little more money, got one of those Christmas tree things that can show movies and things. Now all of them have it. They upgraded 
And isn't that the way we like it? If we go back and it's the same as last year, we're like, oh, it's just the same. We always want to add to it, make it more complex, more elaborate. And I don't know, I, I saw that on, the, or on TV a couple of years ago, they had that great Christmas light contest. And it was just more elaborate and adding and adding thousands of dollars to these lawns. And then you come by one and it's just a spotlight on a manger. And uh, I don't know what you prefer, but I, I, sometimes I prefer simpler is better, just nice and clean and just able to look at it and enjoy it. And uh, it seems that everything in our culture and our society pushes us towards bigger and better, brighter, more fantastic, more elaborate. And it made me think of when the Lord created the world. <laughs> With just his words, just his breath, he spoke. And the heavens and earth came into being. Think of it. With his mouth, he spoke words and that galaxy formed. Better than any light show on a lawn you have ever seen. The Lord created that. It's spectacular. Then he created the animals and the trees and our human bodies. And thousands of years later, we've studied the human body. Thousands of years later, we've even gotten down to the minute detail of this amazing creation right there by God of the DNA. That we're each known individually by this little strand of DNA deep down inside of our bodies. Isn't that amazing and complex and unbelievable what the Lord has created? Yet in the midst of that, he chose uh, to be rather simple <laughs> with what he did at Christmas time. And so I want to read to you this morning from actually Luke chapter 2, uh, the Christmas story. But I want you to think about it in light of the fact of what God could have done. He could have done and chosen to do anything he wanted. <laughs> he could have sent Jesus uh, as a full-grown man uh, at any time he wanted. He could have sent him uh, to just appear and begin to preach and teach and walk amongst us. Uh, he could have sent him with a regal appearance and strong, and yet Isaiah tells us that uh, he would be someone who didn't draw attention by his looks. Wasn't one you'd expect to be a king. Uh, he could have had uh, him born into a family that had some high pedigree, a position of influence and power so that he could easily slide in and make a difference. Uh, he could have been born in a home, comfortable. Mary could have had her friends and relatives nearby her parents nearby, her mom, to help her walk through that birthing process. And yet this is how the Lord chose to do it. Now starting in, oh, here, there we go, starting in chapter 2, it says this, In the days a decree went out for C from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. 
And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Suddenly, there's a, a, uh, an angel, uh, a multitude of angels of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away uh, from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go into Bethlehem. And see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them about the coming of this concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, Jesus was taken, and uh, he was circumcised, as was the custom. And so what we have is a rather simple arrival for the Son of God. (laughs) In a manger, in an evening where they were inconvenienced and sent down because of really the The arrogance, I would say, and the pride of Caesar Augustus, wanting to know how big his empire was. Inconvenienced everybody, having to go to their hometown to register, and I imagine this took months. Uh, I can't imagine the lines and frustration of trying to figure out how to document this and the people traveling and the lack of preparation there. And there, Mary and Joseph were having this child. We don't know if anyone else was with them, if Joseph had to help her walk through this. Now I can imagine that they're exhausted, and there is this baby boy, and they're wondering, is that angel right about all that stuff they said? Um, this is not what we expected. Now, I can imagine Joseph uh, probably smelled them coming, the shepherds. had a, He's like, something's getting closer. Oh, it's the shepherds. And they, they come, and uh, maybe he met them at the door. I imagine that she's resting with the child. And he began to understand and hear that they saw these angels. Mary and Joseph, isn't that interesting? The parents of Jesus didn't get to partake in the greatest moment of that night with those angels appearing and singing. They didn't get to partake in that. They were simply with the child. They got to hear about it from the shepherds. They probably didn't even realize, man, it's extra bright in our little manger here. And they may not have realized the star above uh, the shining that was uh, above where they were at. And yet, it's an interesting way for God to bring in his son into the world. And it should remind us of the simplicity of this Christmas season. If God chose to enter our world in such a simple and humble way... Perhaps that should help us to get our hearts in a place of refocusing and revisiting what the depth and the meaning is behind this wonderful holiday season and the celebration we have. See, often we can 
uh, rush ahead and say, we've got it figured out, and just move ahead, kind of like me with our kids' Christmas presents. I open them up, and sometimes you have to put them together ahead of time. And uh, maybe some of you have done this, but you get it, and you go, that looks simple. I'll just put it together. You throw the instructions to the side, and you get it all the way to the end, and you're like, oh, I forgot one key part. I remember one year I was putting together a basketball hoop in Texas. So I was out there on the lawn um, and trying to just put it together, and I got everything together, and I went to raise it up, and it fell over. Eh, Early on, I had put one part on backwards, so it messed up the entire balance. And you think it would be simple, but I had to reverse everything to turn that one part the correct direction. If I had just taken a moment to look at the big picture or the instructions and, and followed that, perhaps I wouldn't have missed the point. <laughs> perhaps it would have gone together a little bit more smoothly. Or perhaps we should do what I do now. Rachel, why don't you put this together? <laughs> she has the skill set to do that. So perhaps one of your gifts, children, was put together by her this year. <laughs> I won't tell you who. But, um, but she's not in here. Um, and so, uh, as I was looking at that and thinking about that, I began to think about, well, God really did give us a hint at why he did this and why simplicity came into uh, being involved. And it really is found in this verse. It's a simple verse that we all know so well. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son to be born in a manger that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So simple is that sentence. And yet it explains everything about Christmas to us. It says, for God, it begins with God. God started, God pursued us, God desired to heal the brokenness that our sin and rebellion caused. And he loves us. So God so loved the world. That word loved there. I love how the New Testament is written in a language that can give us the sense of the word, the movement of words. And that word loved is an active, ongoing, action-oriented love. So it's not just checking a box and saying, um, I love you. It's demonstrating it. Isn't that what Christmas is all about this idea, this demonstration of love. Uh, we get gifts for one another. We spend time with family. Some of you have traveled here today to be with your family because you love them. And getting in a car and traveling at this time of year, it's a great demonstration of action-oriented love. You're demonstrating by what you do that you care about the people you're going to see. God demonstrated his love for us and that while we are still sinners, while we're still broken and messed up, he sent his son from heaven, from the throne, down to a manger. That's action-oriented love. And it says he loves the world. And he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him, and that belief, once again, is an active belief. It's a belief that changes the direction of your life from going one way to going another. If you believe it's true, then it changes what you do, is what we've been saying in this Christmas season. Whoever believes in Jesus, it's not just saying, well, I believe he existed. I believe this is a good holiday. Like many of the world, this is the highest attended Sunday 
and uh, Christmas Eve is the highest attended service in our culture as many people recognize something about Jesus. But to believe Jesus is to take that and understand who he is and then respond to it. Not just hear it and go about our lives and not to just hear it and do religious activities, but to hear it and have it impact who we are at our very core in our heart, soul, and mind. So do we believe Jesus is the Son of God? Do we believe he came and not only was born, but lived a perfect life and then went from the cradle to the cross on our behalf and then rose again? You see, this tells us that we will not perish but have everlasting life. It's the, it's the ark of Jesus' life. He followed it. He came from the crown, from being uh, worshipped and adored at the right hand of God. He came down to be with us, fully God, fully man, a little baby who cried, who needed food, who grew up, walked amongst us for 30 years, never sinning, honoring his parents, honoring his heavenly father. And then he would die, a perfect sacrifice, covering each and every one of our sins. But then if that were the end of the story, we wouldn't be here this morning. We're not here this morning because Jesus was born. We're here this morning because Jesus was born, he lived, he died on the cross, and then he rose again. If he didn't rise again, the story would end there. He was a good man, a good prophet, should have a holiday, perhaps like Martin Luther or some of the others we celebrate, President's Day. And yet around the world we recognize him because he is the one who has risen again and who will come again and take us to be with him. Either those who have fallen asleep or those who are still alive, we're going to go with him for eternity. And so he is reigning once again with his crown after coming down to this cradle. And he wants to impact our lives this morning. He wants to impact your life. He wants you to take a moment and just breathe and just think about the simplicity of this moment that God would desire to have a vulnerable little baby there in a manger coming to rescue the world. It's an amazing story. And yet its simplicity points to the fact that you and I are all common people. Throughout Jesus' ministry and his life and ever since the church has been formed, God has used people like you. He loves using people like you. People who are broken, people who are struggling. And so that when something grand happens, when something happens that changes your life, it's God who gets the glory. He chose his, he's chosen to use those of us who are weak to show how strong and mighty and powerful he is. And whenever I'm the weakest, it's whenever he shines the greatest. Because I know you can't do anything apart from Christ. In fact, I was uh, looking up stories this week, and I was uh, struck by the story of a, of a man by the name of uh, Chatterton Dix, who lived in the 1800s. He's a common guy. He's an insurance salesman, of all things. And uh, he actually, at a time when people didn't migrate much, he even moved 50 miles from his home to kind of run this company. You see, his father 
uh, loved a great English poet by the name of Chatterton, and so that's why they gave him the name. And they called him that, and he loved poetry. He loved to write it, but uh, he needed to make money. <laughs> so he had the insurance business. Many would say that uh, he was always busy and distracted by his poetry, and he did insurance on the side. Uh, and, you know, his poetry, because he was so busy, he was trying to make a living, would often seem scattered. and not really, It never came together for him until God woke him up a little bit. He got a disease, and he was sick, and he was in bed for months. And as he was in bed for months, he slowed down and made life simple again. He started to open his Bible. He began to read and reconnect and pray and get to know the Lord again. And as he did that, uh, coming out of that, he began to have some of his most profound writings as he began to worship Christ. Uh, he was known in England for uh, writing such hymns as Alleluia, Sing to Jesus, and As with Gladness, Men of Old. And, uh, at that time period, there weren't many who celebrated Christmas. Um, they remembered Christmas. Uh, there were secular activities connected with Christmas, but many uh, Christians, it was simple. Sometimes it was a solemn time. Uh, the Puritans, many of them, and, and there were some groups there in England who didn't believe in giving of gifts. And so it wasn't very common for a ton of songs to be written. Well, he sat down one day and began to uh, pen a poem. And as he began to pen the poem, uh, he began to think it through, and as he thought about it, he wrote the title, The Manger Throne. And it was a unique piece of poetry because it took on this perspective of what if a stranger were to come in and witness this baby in a manger and process what is going on. And as he took on that perspective, uh, it soon began to catch way and it began to be sung and it even traveled to America was in the Civil War. It became a poem that uh, struck the hearts of many, both in the, the North and the South. And it wasn't until a man, an Englishman who's really unknown, took his lyrics and put it to the tune of Greensleeves that we get what we know today is what child is this. And if you listen uh, to what he wrote, it's a quite, quite an amazing perspective on Christmas. What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch her keeping? Can you imagine the people walking by, those who are just mentioned briefly in the scriptures, listening to what the shepherds say, seeing this baby here in the streets and off in the manger and wondering what's this all about? Why are they just so astonished and amazed? There's a look on these shepherds' face that made you want to listen to them. You wouldn't have doubted their story once you figured out that they were sober anyway and made sure, okay, these guys aren't crazy. Something's going on here. There is a child here. And so those lyrics began to come through, and he says, This, this baby is Christ the King, whose shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him loud, the babe, the son of Mary. Why lies he in such mean estate where ox and ass are feeding? 
mean estate, poor, unexpected, simple, not clean, not pristine, nothing like what we do during childbirth today. Even if you have a home birth, it's nothing compared to this, although there are places around the world who experience births that are closer to what Jesus had. It says, where Christian fear for sinners here, the silent word is pleading. Hail, hail, the word made flesh. The word made flesh. That connects us back to Genesis. The word made flesh. Jesus is the one who spoke, made the galaxies pop out. And he is now in the manger. The babe, the son of Mary. Bring him incense, gold, and myrrh. Come peasant and king to own him. Will you own him as your own this morning? Will you take him into your heart? Will you make him your Lord and Savior? To own him is to enthrone him in your life. There are many who speak of him, many who acknowledge him. But will we follow him? That's what it means to own Jesus Christ. If he hasn't impacted any of your choices you make Monday through Saturday... Do you really understand who this baby is in the manger? It says this, that the king of kings salvation brings, let loving hearts enthrone him. Joy, joy, for Christ is born, the babe, the son of Mary. How can you bring the simplicity of the manger into your homes this week, into your hearts, into your celebrations? Maybe it's taking a moment to ponder these things like Mary did. And she just pondered these things in her heart. She treasured them. To me, that tells me she returned to them again and again when things were tough, when they're traveling to Egypt trying to escape persecution. They're wondering where their next meal's going to come from. And people whisper rumors about her and Joseph and how they became pregnant. Will you... Uh, wonder and, and take time to look at these moments in your life. Perhaps you need to look back at this year and the unspectacular, unexpected answers to prayer and stop and thank God and be grateful for them. So often I remember these big movements, but I forget to say thank you for the simple little steps along the way. Forget to say thank you for the simple little things of people arriving and setting things up on Sunday mornings for little encouragements we give one another for the little ways God's provided throughout our year. It's good to stop and to give thanks and to focus on what Christ has indeed done for us. So what is your response for Jesus going from the cradle to the cross to you? <laughs> to you. He died for you. He was born for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son for you. So if you believe in him, you should not perish, but have everlasting life. See, the greatest gift of all, you know, we celebrate, and it's so fun giving gifts. Do we really, really cherish the simplest gift of a baby born on this morning? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, <laughs> the Christmas story, uh, we gather around at this time of year, Lord, and uh, Man, it's amazing how many songs have been written in honor of you. It's amazing what this celebration has become over the years, Lord. And yet in the midst of all of that, it's a spectacular and the technological advances and the movies and the gifts. 
may we pause and simply say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for this plan, for this love for the world that you have that caused you to send your one and only Son. Thank you for that gift of salvation. And like any gift, Lord, it's offered, but if I just set presents under a tree, Lord, and, and nobody takes them, they haven't been trusted in or received. We need to trust in Jesus Christ. We need to take that gift of salvation and believe and repent and turn towards you and follow you, enthrone you in our hearts and our lives. If this morning of the morning and you haven't made that step or you've just kind of acknowledged who Jesus is, but you haven't ever trusted him, I Pray that you would just talk to him this morning. Talk to him and say, Lord, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need you. Thank you for sending your son for me. Come into my heart. Come into my life and change me. And one step at a time, he does that. And Lord, for those of us who have been following you, help us to grow deeper and wider in our understanding of who you are. Doesn't matter how many Christmas sermons I get to preach. There's always something new in this diamond, another facet that shines out of how amazing your entrance into the world is and your love for us is and your salvation is. It is indeed the greatest gift of all is Jesus Christ, our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.